Hello, everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and I can't believe we're already on episode three of season two. I swear this season is going to have to last 100 episodes long for me to feel satisfied because the good just keeps on coming. So today I am with Janine Harris. We've been waiting to record this episode for a long time since we met on Twitter. And she is the author of a really cool book called Statistics with R, Solving Problems Using Real World Data. So we're gonna tell you all about that. And she's also the co-chair of Use R 2020, which is going on right now in case you're on Twitter and want to go watch the talks that you've missed or use the hashtag. It's just hashtag use R2020. And she is a fellow Our Ladies co-chair of Our Ladies St. Louis. And she's also a professor at Washington University in St. Louis. So she has her hands full, but took the time to speak with me. And she's a huge Data Femme fan. She's listened to every single episode. So this is a real treat for me, and it will be a real treat for you. So hi, Janine. It's really good to have you here. I know we've been talking about doing this recording for a long time, so this is exciting. And I guess we can just start with you telling me a little bit about how you got into data science and all the amazing projects that you do. Sure. Um, thanks, Danielle. Uh, let me first say I've listened to every single episode of Data Femme. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I've gotten so many great ideas from the podcast and learned about all these fantastic women in data science. And I think it's really amazing what you're doing. Um, and I'm excited to share my, my story with you. Um, I took a pretty long and winding road to data science. Um, math was always really my favorite subject in school from the very beginning. But after high school, I discovered uh, the freedom of living away from home. And I did not take college very seriously. And I went through five majors before graduating with an undergraduate degree in French language and literature, which I loved, by the way. Um, after that, I did a graduate degree in communication, which was also awesome. Another grad degree in education with a focus on teaching middle school math. And I think this was really my turning point. I spent two years as a middle school math teacher uh, in a school in an economically depressed neighborhood. And this is where I started an after-school program for girls who were interested in math and technology. So um, some of our very uh, young budding data scientists. Um, and that's really relevant to where I am today. And I think it's really where I got my start. Um, after moving across the country, I started looking for the next step and I found the public health program at St. Louis University. And uh, I ended up doing a doctorate in public health studies with a biostatistics concentration. And I, I finished that in 2008, and I've been teaching biostatistics to public health grad students ever since. Um, so um, my path to getting into the R community was almost as long as that. 
I love the art community. It's one of the great joys of my career being part of this community. It, it's really welcoming. It's really helpful. It has such a strong commitment to a diversity and inclusion and make every, making everything accessible uh, to as many people as possible. So I feel really lucky to have stumbled into this community halfway through my career. Um, my, my role there in the art community right now is as uh, the co-founder and leader of Our Ladies St. Louis. Uh, Our Ladies is a global organization made up of local chapters all over the world, uh, and it has the mission of increasing gender diversity in the art community. So in Our Ladies St. Louis, we conduct free workshops on our topics about five times a year for anyone in the St. Louis community to join. Um, up until the pandemic, these were in person and sponsored by Microsoft for Space and a local IT consulting firm called NetFX always provided food. So if you live in St. Louis, you could come to the Microsoft Space, have a free meal and learn something in R. Uh, and all of but one of our workshops were taught by women. Um, after the pandemic started, we actually did two additional workshops uh, that were online. Uh, the most recent one was with Dr. Doris Scott, who taught our attendees about using R to um, develop their own website. And that meetup was attended by people in Africa, Canada, India, and the US. So the pandemic's actually uh, increased the reach of Our Lady St. Louis a little bit. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is my other role in the art community right now is as the co-chair of the canceled Use Our 2020 annual conference. Uh, but we will have virtual events throughout July, including some keynotes and tutorials. Um, and these will be hosted all over the world, Africa, South America, Europe, Australia, North America. Um, and if you wanna find out more about those, uh, we're putting all that information on the Use Our 2020 Twitter feed. So if any of your listeners are um, R people or are curious about R, there's some great stuff coming up over the next month or so. And there's bound to be something in your time zone wherever you are on this planet. That's all very exciting. And I definitely relate to the concept of the remote events being more accessible across the world. So you get to really extend your reach to a community that you wouldn't otherwise get to know and also it's really nice because you get a lot more people who might not be able to commute at those times or might not be able to afford the fees but now can and so that's just a way of bringing in more diverse perspectives to all of our discussions and i do love that so I do want to get into our book discussion, obviously, but before we get into that, something you said about learning French and majoring in it was really exciting to me, you know, from French to biostatistics. And I speak a lot of languages too, and French is one of them. I've always enjoyed learning them. So I'm wondering if you see any connection between your passion for coding and your passion for languages. <laughs> I do think they are related. I think that uh, the languages that we use in statistics, um, you know, the R coding language, uh, learning it is has some similarities to learning um, a spoken and read language like French or, or some of the ones that you mentioned that you're that you've learned. 
So I feel like, you know, I had this love of math kind of from the very beginning. And then I took both the German and French throughout high school and really enjoyed both of those things. So together, I think uh, when you match the love of math and the wanting to do a career that has math in it, also with the love of language, coding comes pretty naturally after that. I'd agree with that. And in my humble opinion, math is actually the most universal language we have. And that's what makes it so special. And that's why I love it so much. So I do want to transition into talking about your book, Statistics with R, Solving Problems Using Real World Data. And I really want to know what inspired you to write the book and especially what the process was like getting started. I really think it could be um, boiled down to three reasons, three things that inspired me to write the book. Um, first, I, I really think using real world data on interesting topics is one of the keys to igniting interest in statistics for students. Um, statistics really has the unfortunate reputation of being both difficult and boring at the same time. Uh, and I'd say that using fake data sets and data sets about widgets or data about the Titanic that's built into your software um, all seem so far removed and so unimportant that they, they really don't counter this reputation for students of statistics being uh, difficult and boring. They don't connect um, with real life as well. So instead, I use data about in the book and in the classes that I teach about topics um, that I think are interesting and relevant and can really show students um, what they can use the statistics to do when they are done with school or uh, even in the rest of their school program. So I use data in the book about uh, topics like transgender healthcare, uh, marijuana legalization, voter registration, and uh, women in STEM careers, a whole bunch of other topics. Each chapter has a different, a different topic and a real, real world data set um, that's publicly available to go with the topic. Um, so I know why people use the fake data. It's really useful for demonstrating um, certain assumptions uh, and showing specific ways the statistics work and real world data doesn't always cooperate with you to allow you to meet assumptions. Uh, but that's that's part of being a data scientist, and that's really a challenge with real-world data that they're, the students are going to come across when they leave school. So uh, I think that showing real-world data on real-life problems um, that does not always meet assumptions and give students experience with figuring out what happens next can be really valuable, in addition to being interesting and more related to their lives. That's super interesting. Do you think this increase in relevant data sets is going to bring more women into the field? Women really remain underrepresented in a lot of STEM fields, including data science. And I really wanted this book to improve representation um, in whatever ways that it could. And so I tried to do this in three different ways. I have a set of three women experts and learners in statistics. Uh, who lead the reader through all the concepts and through the R code. Uh, and each woman has a personality and a specialty and they interact while they're learning together. Um, and the, the second thing I did was I cited source material by women whenever possible. Uh, so when I was 
writing about a certain statistical topic, I looked for books and papers on that statistical topic that were written by women um, as either the sole author or the first author, uh, and I cited those as sources when I could. Uh, this, this was a challenge sometimes. There, there's, limited, um, there's limited source material about statistical topics by women, which is one thing that uh, I would like to help improve. Uh, and then third, I contributed to the number of women who've written statistical materials by being a woman and writing the book. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about, because I think it has uh, special relevance right now during um, the pandemic where science is being generated at such a frenetic pace, uh, is it has, a, it has a focus on reproducibility, um, which is something that we really need to work on in science. Uh, with R being free and open source, it makes it a really great resource for producing reproducible science. Uh, anyone can access the full version of R for free, so code written in R is more easily reviewed and results are more easily reproduced by other scientists. Uh, and that's something I think we really need and, and some of this quick science that we're seeing uh, during the pandemic that ends up getting retracted later really highlights um, highlights our need for working in more reproducible ways uh, as data scientists. I love how you brought in the importance of having real life data sets be a part of our training in R because I definitely feel like a lot of my classmates and MBA were shocked when they realized that real analytics work does not build off those clean data sets that you see built into R. And it's definitely a shock when we realize how much time we need to spend data cleaning. I had had a bit of preparation for it just because I had been working at the New Orleans Police Department for a bit before I actually took my first R class. So I realized how messy data can be, but I think a lot of people don't. So I love the way that your book brings in these pretty basic concepts in R but incorporates the cleaning process by using these relevant data sets, because I think learning all of those components at the same time may make the transition from academic environment learning to learning on the job a little bit easier. So with that, I want to transition into hearing about your inspiration for what my favorite part of the book is, these characters that you bring in these narratives that you work through the whole book in between tutorials and why you felt that following these three women's story would be really beneficial for readers. So my initial idea was to make the book like a video game where you make your way through levels. And as you go through the levels, you earn points and you earn badges um, and you know, it could have some other features of video games, like getting to try again if you fail a level. Um, but over time, as I was writing it, um, the sort of underlying idea of a video game morphed more into a story than a game. Uh, I, I knew from the beginning I wanted female characters, women characters, and so that wasn't new. But the the idea of having a story, a narrative that connected through the whole book came out of this idea of a video game to begin with. Um, 
So each of the chapters, uh, as you know, from looking at the book, it starts with a scene where the three characters have met to work on some statistical concept. Um, and actually one of your shows reminded me of, of the book. I didn't know your, the two women that you were interviewing, but they, they met, um, at an Our Ladies event, I think, and maybe you did too. I can't remember the whole thing, but it was very similar to the narrative in the book. Uh, and usually one of the women has come to this meeting with an idea or a question that she came across in her life and she wants to learn more about. And then they spend time together finding and importing publicly available data, cleaning the data, managing the data, uh, and doing statistics together with each character contributing um, their expertise to the team as they work to learn the code and the concepts of the statistical uh, methods together. Um, so I, I really hope that the scenarios and the avatars, there are three little um, avatars of the three women. Um, I hope that these can help readers see themselves in the characters. Um, and I hope that that can help both reduce anxiety around statistics. And I also hope that it encourages women and people from other underrepresented groups uh, to see themselves um, in these characters and to, to see themselves as uh, possible data scientists, if that's something that, that they are interested or considering at all for a career. Well, I love the avatars. I think they're so cute. And I'm definitely going to include pictures of them on the episode page so that people can get excited about what they're going to find in the book. And it's interesting, so interesting that you mentioned video games being your inspiration, because I definitely think people in the video game world are doing a lot of work to make sure that we achieve equal representation of races and genders within our virtual environments, hoping that that may become a reflection of our physical environment. So I would love to hear your take on how your book might have increased relevance in today's world with COVID and the support for the Black community that's come out of the Black Lives Matter movement and protests surrounding that. So just this week, I co-led a webinar for people thinking of transitioning their introductory statistics courses to R. Uh, and we had about 230 people attend, which surprised us. And, and then one of the things we heard from our attendees was the fact that they are um, either transitioning to R or starting their teacher teaching in R because it's free and it's open source. And it really makes a great choice for teaching stats right now when you don't know uh, if you're going to be teaching in person or online or some hybrid of the two, or if you're going to start in person and then have to go online. Um, it's really one of the easiest to be working in if you have to switch to remote learning. So you and your students don't have to worry about accessing university licensed software, going into a lab, buying your own software. Uh, and those always presenting, it's presented a lot of issues when I taught SPSS, even when we didn't have this um, threat of the pandemic uh, looming over us as we taught. So really the accessibility of the software I, I used in the book is one thing that, that makes it the relevance, I think, um, stronger right now. I also have all the code and data available online. So all of it is uh, available if you're not on campus, everything is, is there for you. R is one of the major softwares used in data science. 
And for classes like introductory statistics, which are often taught in SPSS, SAS, or STATA, or R, um, R is the leading statistical package among those for, um, for jobs in data science. So in 2019, there were uh, something like 14,000 job ads that included R. And the next closest competitor of the regularly used stats uh, programs with SAS, and that had about 8,000, so a little more than half. Um, so in this climate of economic anxiety, I think learning R uh, is going to give students a boost. Um, I guess the focus on reproducibility, I think, is really relevant right now. I think I mentioned that before. We're seeing all sorts of really fast COVID science being published and then being retracted. Uh, which is sort of also fanning the flames of mistrust in science. And that has led to some really unfortunate outcomes, um, like states reopening and people not um, not following guidance. So I think reproducibility is really something we can hit hard in our in our science courses and our statistics courses. Um, in terms of the uh, the protests and um, all of that movement that's happening right now. The book does have a focus on representation. I'm not sure that um, I hit it quite hard enough, to be honest with you. And the next edition, I feel like I've got uh, already ideas for um, new chapters and new topics and uh, things that will um, address representation in more ways. Well, I definitely agree with you there, and I'm in the same boat. And really all we can do is just learn and listen and really put the spotlight on people who know how to help us be better through content, through conversations, and through leading the way. And speaking of leading the way, I do want to ask you, since you are a professor, how you found teaching through writing this book to be a different experience calling on different skills than it takes to teach a classroom. When you're teaching in class, you can ad lib. <laughs> when you see students who need more information or or you want to just highlight something, so you're you're there and you can see the reaction of the people who are sitting in front of you. Uh, to what you're trying to convey, to the information you're giving them. And you can see if it's going over well, uh, and you can add in details as you go. So when you're trying to teach through a book, um, you know, you could go, you could add details forever, it felt like. Um, and you have to really pick and choose what you want to include so that it's enough for people to uh, be able to follow the concepts, follow the coding, but not overwhelming so that your entire book focuses on, um, you know, descriptive statistics, which it could. You certainly could have a very long textbook that only focused on on the one topic. So uh, I do think that teaching through a book um, does require you to give a little more detail up front and to really focus on what people need to know to understand the concepts and the coding, uh, given that you are not sitting in front of them as they use the book uh, there to answer their questions. 
Well, I think a lot of aspiring data scientists and data scientists who've been in the field for a little longer alike are using books like yours to facilitate that process of self-learning. So, you know, it's complicated because obviously as someone who's very academic and you're a professor, so you might feel the same way, university education is wonderful. I'm so glad I had that. But at the same time, I know a lot of people in the data science field who are very high up, some of whom have been on this podcast, who don't necessarily have that background and were very diligent about self-learning. So I guess I'm wondering what your take on that is. Like being a professor, how do you feel about the ability or not to enter the data science field by teaching yourself and foregoing, for whatever reason, a formal university training? I really think it depends a lot on the job that you want. Um, And I I feel like one of the best ways uh, to decide whether you want to go on into graduate programs or even onto a PhD is to look at one or two or three of the jobs that you think that you want when you get done and to talk to somebody who has that job and find out from them what what you need for that job. I mean, there are certain jobs, of course, where it'll be required that you have uh, a graduate degree or a PhD, um, you know, faculty at certain universities and certain kinds of faculty roles have to have a PhD to get the job. Um, but there are other roles on universities uh, in academia where you don't need to have that PhD, where you could have, um, you could be self-taught or you could have a degree, uh, an undergraduate or a master's level degree um, and and get a great job that you love. So um, I think it really just varies on what you wanna do. And um, I, I have a younger brother who is also a data scientist and he um, dropped out of high school and he thought he was missing the tech revolution and um, dropped out of high school, got his GED at 16 and moved to Seattle to be part of the, the tech revolution. And he uh, now works for Tableau um, and is doing great. So there are ways to get into the field that are not um, traditional. I think it just depends to some extent on, on what you wanna do um, and what kind of jobs you're looking for. That's true. I've definitely met a lot of people in my life, especially after graduating college, that are incredibly intellectual and curious and smart that have not gone through the traditional university system. And I love that that is possible for them. At the same time, a lot of these people who are in that position without going to university are white males. And so I feel like on the same token, I want people who've gone through the university system to get ahead, like myself and fellow women of color. I want us to all feel and know that our degrees were worth something and that those will give us more opportunities because we went into debt for it. And we want to believe that these opportunities that we had through academia will give us an edge. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it totally does. And I think there is research to back that up that um, over the course of your life, uh, if you have, if you've gone to college and you have a college degree, your earning over your course of your life is, um, I don't know the actual number, but it's, it's a, a significantly large amount higher than those people who did not um, get their college degrees. Um, I also, you know, I also think some jobs will require it and you will be better trained for the job that you get if you've had this experience uh, in many cases. So uh, I, I think it's, I personally think it's worthwhile um, to, to get the degree, uh, but I think there are other paths um, for some people. Definitely. And that leads back to this whole issue of a lack of representation of diverse backgrounds in not just data science, but tech. I really want to see representation for marginalized groups increasing both in academia and in the data science field at large, which are groups that you are very influential in. And I think that's great to have someone like you who always has representation on the brain as a cause to be in charge. So I do want to ask you about how you ensure that your environments are all actively promoting representation, especially when a conference like Use R2020 is not a female only or even a female first space by categorization. So, so I think, yeah, this is really important. I think there's some progress being made, um, but I also think there are ways we try to increase representation that just don't work and just resulting uh, end up in resulting in, um, you know, to tokenism rather than changing the whole system. Um, I do think for data science that it starts really early on. And I, I'm most familiar with evidence around girls and women uh, in terms of representation. So I probably will talk about that more, but um, it, it suggests that girls are just as interested and enthusiastic about math until middle school, and then it starts to drop off. Um, and I have not read as much uh, about what happens with other underrepresented groups in data science, but my, my best guess would be that it's similar for a lot of groups that, um, you know, this early interest and enthusiasm wanes when they get to start to get um, to middle school and high school. Um, so I think the evidence suggests that one of the things we can do is, is include better representation uh, of women and other underrepresented groups in, in data science um, throughout the entire educational process um, so that people actually see others like them um, who are successful, who are experts uh, in, in the thing that they are interested in. Um, and this is this can be tough because clearly not everybody can have a teacher that is matched to their specific identities. Um, and I think this will get better over time, but there are, are other things we can do uh, in the meantime, like incorporating materials by women and underrepresented groups into college courses. And this is severely lacking in most fields. I just um, finished a study with three colleagues looking at the gender of authors of readings on syllabi across the campus that I work on. 
Uh, and in a lot of the STEM fields, um, it is so very, very low um, as to be shocking for me, who's somebody who thought it would be low to begin with. Uh, so we can have incorporate materials by women and other underrepresented groups into college courses. We can continue to draw attention when there are um, keynotes and and high visibility panels that don't include um, any diversity at all. Um, we can offer women opportunities to be visible, women and other underrepresented people opportunities to be visible, uh, which is something I actually think you're really a leader in at DataFem. Um, so, you know, what you're doing is part of the solution here, I think. Uh, and we're trying to be part of the solution with USAR 2020 as well. We have partnerships around the world to host tutorials. So um, we're trying to bring in people from, from everywhere, our ladies groups, our users groups, the RUGs from, you know, Africa and South America and um, Europe. We have North America represented. Um, we're really trying to be global in, in representing everywhere where this work is going on. So that's something we're, we're trying to do. Uh, my focus was really has really been on representation. So that's I guess what I'm what I'm talking the most uh, about here, and there are there are small ways we can improve representation. You know, adding a couple of of papers to your syllabus that are by people who are underrepresented in your um, in your discipline is is great, and that's one way to include um, you know to increase representation. And then there are bigger, uh, very visible ways by having keynotes at large conferences and and um, having panels that include diverse voices on them um, that are highlighting leaders in the field. Uh, I think there's just, there's a lot of ways we could do this. Uh, I'm not sure um, which is best, but I feel like, you know, we can try them all and, and, uh, and make some progress that way. A lot of stuff I've been hearing is just kind of empowering people to not be afraid of math and to understand the math behind data science. Um, and I think your book does that really well. It reminds me of the professor that got me into stats in the first place. I was so scared because in undergrad, me and stats just didn't mesh too well. But like when I had stats classes, he would just make sure with like the incentive system, like you mentioned with like video games, he made sure that we would learn the math by making the explanations and the handwritten formulas count for things on our tests. And of course we all want to get A's. And so it, it wasn't all about just the commands in R, which a lot of classes can be and not invest the time in like writing out the formulas. So one of the things I really noticed about your book is that you do write out the calculus formulas and explain those in a similar way, you know, as you do the actual code. So I thought that was really special because I don't see that all the time. It's usually like calculus statistics books or data science books. And, you know, I feel like when you mesh them together, you do get kind of the innate human understanding that we're all looking for, which is kind of universal. Like we all want to understand things and math is something that is innate to us. And so that is a way of democratizing the space to make people really understand and enjoy the math. Yeah, uh, thanks. I, I, you know, when I was first learning a lot of these things, 
I was one of those people who would skip over the formulas and just read around them. Um, and then over time, uh, as I learned more and then I transitioned into teaching, um, I became more and more appreciative of the formulas. And I started noticing that there were students in my classes. There were some who were like me who just would skip over the formulas, but there were others who would want to know what every little piece of the formula was um, was about. And by understanding the underlying math, they understand they understood why we were using it and what we were doing. Uh, and so I think it just helps different people in different ways if you can provide all the different information around a statistical concept and why it's being used. Yeah, I think going back to you know, just math being the universal language, I think that sometimes there are truths and numbers that words would never be able to describe. And when you're faced with those facts, you know, it really can have an emotional impact. Um, in a way, you know, it's interesting that mathematicians, statisticians are thought about as like, you know, detached from motion, all about the numbers. Because to me, like, when I see a statistic that really moves me, I feel very emotional about it, you know, about what it says, about what it means for our world. So at least for me, like, I think that has created a high standard in terms of the statistics that I pursue when I'm doing studies with like New Orleans local crime data or whatever I might be into at the moment, because I want whatever I come up with not to just be a, oh, look, I made a pretty diagram and this stat is kind of significant cool like I want it to be wow this statistic is going to make you rethink the way that the world works I think that's really what it seems like you're also going for in like having these real world data sets and you know writing a game it's really amazing what you've been able to come up with and what you've been able to do this book you know is very informative but it's also a work of art in my eyes thanks I really appreciate it um I, I just hope it, I hope it brings some people into the field and I hope it feels approachable, I guess. Yeah, it definitely feels approachable in my opinion. Um, but I think it also, like it, there's a balance, right? You want to be approachable, but you also don't necessarily want to coddle the reader if they're looking to self-learn. So I would say, I would say it's pretty fast paced and I would say that it's very focused, but I, but I do think it's approachable. And I think the narrative definitely kind of embeds that welcoming vibe into the book and without you actually having to over explain. It's, it's a brilliant idea, you know, like at, at this point, I don't see a lot of books like this. Maybe in the future, people will, you know, try to do their own variations of the same kind of format, hopefully paying you royalties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like we could talk forever. We do have a lot of stuff. What do you want to say to, you know, future readers of your book and just the whole data science community? I, I know I asked a lot of questions, but I definitely left things out. So any holes that I did not fill, just take it away. For those folks out there who are, are listening and um, just getting into data science or trying to decide whether to go into data science or even trying to decide if they should learn R as another language, um, I would just really recommend 
um, the R community to everyone. Uh, I have learned so much from it and gained so much from being part of this community. Um, it's really impressive. Uh, it's it's like I, I've said a few times. Um, you know, it's it's welcoming and helpful and really strives to be the best place for the most people that it can. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you're if you're thinking of a career in data science, if you're thinking of more training in data science, um, this is something I would highly recommend. In terms of my book, I really feel like it could help with representation. Uh, if you take a look, it does have um, all those features that I talked about before. It has real world data on all these topics. Um, it has women represented in multiple ways as characters, uh, and then it has a focus on reproducibility. So there's a free chapter online, and there's all sorts of um, videos and code and data that you can check out before you make a commitment to um, get the book. Well, if buying this book is the commitment in question, I would advise all of my listeners to jump right in because it's an amazing book. I myself can't wait to go back through all the tutorials and review everything I've ever learned in R in this innovative, really creative way. So thank you, Janine, for being on the podcast and for sharing so much of your process with me. Thank you for all the work that you do with R Ladies and Use R 2020. I will be catching up on the videos from that conference on Twitter. Anyone else who wants to join me on that, the talks are public on YouTube and the hashtag is still live. I think they're still wrapping up operations today. So it'll be a cool time to recap on that content, still connect with people in live time. And I want to let all of you know that Janine is actually a Patreon supporter of DataFem as of last week. So I encourage all of you to do the same and join my special crew at www.patreon.com slash datafem. The link to both this and a special link to Janine's book will be available in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. It's a wonderful resource for yourself or a perfect gift for anybody who is interested in learning or reviewing R. And with that, I will see you next week.